We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, I'm watching the throw, and it's funny because you could see Plax has like a complete bead on the throw, and there's like no Falcons in the picture yet. And you're just like, well, when is someone going to step up? It's like they all are just hanging out at the goal line, which is, you know, obviously worked out. But I mean, if he catches that ball one foot deeper, it's, it's a touchdown. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Emmerich. For this one, we'll throw back to a recording with Rich Rebar, who came on to talk through the fantasy angles of Michael Vick versus Tommy Maddox and the big finish with Plaxico Burris there, going through the process in an interesting time and place in the league. Recorded this one back in 2020. Hope you enjoy. Author of the worksheet at Sharp Football Analysis and the Swami of Konami, Lord Reeves, how do you feel about diving into the very strange and distinct part of Steelers and NFL history that is 2002 yeah this is this is a fun game on a lot of levels because uh you know it was that weird tie exciting plays a fourth quarter comeback Tommy Maddox had come off the XFL this is you know we had a little Konami action with Mike Vick uh there's a lot going on here uh to digest in this game and it's just a it's a really fun football game it's you know for a regular season game it's probably one of the more underrated regular season games and the Steelers and Falcons have a couple of these they played four years later and played like a 41 to 38 shootout so they they delivered we need to get these guys on the field more together yeah and then 2010 also overtime so they play each other. Each time goes to OT, a thriller, different players involved. And in 2002, a bit of a transition year in Steelers and Falcons history, too. Uh, the first year, Michael Vick is a full-time starter. And when Tommy Maddox becomes a full-time starter, 2002 ends with Brad Johnson quarterbacking a 27-point Super Bowl win and the Cleveland Browns <laughs> making the playoffs. So you almost wonder which, which plane of existence this occurs on. And in Week 10... <laughs> One of the stranger games in memory, Falcons visiting Pittsburgh, both squads coming off four-game win streaks. Tommy Maddox, the still-reigning XFL MVP. Michael Vick, the number one draft pick of the Falcons a couple years earlier. Interesting period between Cordell and Ben-led teams and the Dick LeBeau defensive eras in Pittsburgh. With what clarity do you remember where you were on this autumn day? Oh, man, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, this is... I mean, I'm what 20 at this time, so I'm really on the cusp. I'm I'm 20 years old at this time, really on the cusp of you know having fun and, and doing stuff. Uh, probably was was out on Saturday night, you know, 
having a good time watching the game probably you know at home watching the games that is uh i don't remember if this game was on or not locally at the time i would doubt it was uh being where i am you know uh outside of cleveland that the browns probably occupied that time slot uh on on cbs i'm guessing at that time uh, but no, I don't exactly remember exactly where I was, but I can remember cut them cutting to like in and out of plays for the game, uh, especially in the overtime. I recommend everyone read your Dynasty buy sell articles for sharp football analysis. I'm guessing if you're writing this column in 02, Heinz Ward and Plaxico Burst, and not knowing what Michael Vick had in store, they would all be buys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the Steelers, you know, when, when I rewatched this game, too, for this, uh, the, the Steelers' offense was really fun, yeah. uh, you know, at this time, you know, and, and they weren't just fun because they had fun players, like, they ran fun plays. I mean, in this game, they had, we had Heinz Ward had a carry, Antoine Randall had a carry, they ran the option with uh, Randall L. and Amazaraway at one time, they were running fun plays, and, you know, I forgot that the Pittsburgh, you know, they mixed in a lot of trickery, you know, and obviously the, the Randall L. Super Bowl sticks out, but in this game, they ran a lot of uh, unique stuff, and they actually played a lot more, you know, four wide and three and four wide stuff than I think a lot of teams were doing at this time. There also was a point in this game where there was a third and 22, and the Falcons went I formation, and I just about lost my mind uh, thinking back to the era of football that this oh, was. Yeah. But the uh, actual Steelers, the Steelers' offense is fun, and they ran a lot of fun plays. And Tommy Maddox had that, you know, Brett Favre gene, where like he was just like he was a gunslinger. He, he didn't care about throwing interceptions. Should have probably threw a couple in this one. Probably had another touchdown uh, in this game. Plaxico probably could have had 320 yards in this yeah. game, which is crazy to think about, uh, especially in the first quarter. He missed like a 60 yarder uh, touchdown yeah. to Plaxico. But uh, the, the Steelers' offense was really fun at this time. Yeah, and then another one in overtime where Plaxico is is held so that he doesn't burn them deep. Between those two, he could have broken Flipper Anderson's record. He ends up with 258 receiving yards, including the first touchdown, which, as you mentioned it, Maddox, a gunslinger, the safety undercuts it for the Falcons and pops right through to Plaxico. 7-0, you have to be feeling good at that point. That was a that was a great play by by Plaxico. Uh, like I said, he, he missed them from the first quarter for a touchdown. But I had also forgotten too just how how much the Steelers dominated this game. Like for the stretch of like the second through, to, I really 50 minutes of the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, outside of a couple broken plays, and I know we'll talk about LeBeau and stuff, but like he wasn't there. But like the, the thumbprint was still there. I mean, they they really had a, the game plan I used to play against Vic and Madden, you know, and that was my game plan is I'm always bringing corners off the edge. And like they, the Steelers were in Vic's pocket the entire game uh, until he broke that late touchdown to, to tie it at the end there. But uh, yeah, I mean, Plaxico was really, was really the guy they were trying to establish early uh, taking shots downfield. And they connected on that one that probably should have been intercepted on the undercut, but maybe that one just neutralizes the one that he, he overthrew in the first quarter. I mean, yeah, again, Plax could have easily gone for mid-300s. The Falcons had Ashley Ambrose and Ray Buchanan both on the other side of 30 holding down starting cornerback for the Falcons, trying to guard 6'5", 26-year-old Plaxico Burris. They're, both players are former All-Pros, but it seems like that would be an approach that would be rare in today's NFL to just roll in with the two longer-in-the-tooth shorter guys against Plaxico. 
Yeah, so I looked this up. I wanted just to see how it compared to, you know, uh, this past season. There were only 37 DBs in the entire NFL this year that took a snap at age 30 and over. So oh. really so really, just like a little bit over one per team. Baltimore had four of them. Uh, yeah. Three of the guys played for two teams, uh, Janoris Jenkins, uh, Andrew Sandeo, and Tremaine Brock. But really only 37 guys were over 30 years old or older that played defensive back. Only 13 were cornerbacks. Wow. So I mean, it's it you it's a short it's a short shelf life for cornerbacks and cornerbacks when it goes it goes in a hurry. I mean, think of how many great DBs and corners we've had that just like they just like they just, they just don't have it anymore. They it, they're great one year and then you know the next year it's over. Like I remember like Asante Samuel being like that. Like he was like really good for a long time and it was just all of a sudden bad. Like, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> like it just couldn't couldn't guard anyone uh, anymore. But, yeah, Jonathan Joseph is I guess he, he did a little he hung on. And he had a couple bounce back years past 30. But, uh, yeah, I, I looked it up to see, though, to compare. And it, it's really rare to have two older guys. Uh, but, you know, you didn't need as many DBs as by that. We were in complete right. transition. Uh but the, like I said, the, the Steelers were a team that were running a lot of three-plus wide receiver sets in this, and obviously having a great slot guy like Heinz Ward uh, makes that happen. But they also, I mean, Randall is not actually a true flanker or X himself, so uh, the, you know it's a weird pairing. But uh, yeah, I don't think you'd see that very often now, especially because, like I said, <laughs> I checked it out, and there were not a lot of older DBs playing in the NFL last season. Struggled, yeah, with Plaxico. Heinz Ward also went for, uh, I think, double-digit catches, uh, over 100 yards receiving. And another thing the NFL hasn't seen in a while is a former XFL quarterback. If P.J. Walker finds success as a starting NFL passer, would that be more or less surprising than what Tommy Maddox did in 02? I think it would be less surprising now just because, you know, you don't have to just be a pocket passer anymore. Like a lot of this, you know, still era was, you know, PJ Walker, you a lot more open offenses now. He has some ties to, you know, Matt rule uh, as well. So, I mean, you know, he paired up with him and getting into that system probably can help him. He's mobile, which helps now. So, I mean, I think that the, today's NFL can acquiesce to the non pocket passer a little bit more whereas you know even if you threw picks back then they, they, they still wanted guys to just stand there and, and take shots yeah. downfield uh so i mean i would say you know it'd be less shocking now but uh you know i, I mean i remember that that year that cordell started that year right yeah and they started zero and two and that was after they were the one seed losing the afc title three games in cower makes the switch yeah I, I yeah i thought cordell started that year but yeah i mean it's they, they still wanted to make guys passers, and I'm sure we'll talk about it with Vic uh, a little bit, but that era still was still focused on g g making those guys passers first, uh, which I think is different than now, where I think a lot more guys, I think even Vic now, Vic would to come in the league now, I think he would be handled a lot differently than he was back then. Uh, but, I mean, if P.J. Walker would get a chance to play if Teddy Bridgewater falters, I mean, I think that there's still opportunity there. Two preseasons ago, he was really good and then, you know, really struggled. I think it was last preseason by Chad Kelly, completely outplayed him. But uh, he showed a little promise two years ago and then just kind of, you know, just washed out last year. So hopefully his second chance uh, will give him some new life. I'm glad that, you know, at least the XFL opened the doors for some of these guys like Donald him, Donald Barham, uh, Tiamu. So, you know, some other guys are getting some chances because of it. Maddox was it definitely the rare exception from that first run of the XFL as far as then really sticking in the NFL afterwards. But Maddox was the first round pick by the Broncos mm -hmm. in 92 as the heir apparent to John Elway. And yep. then Elway plays another seven years. Um, <laughs> Tommy Maddox becomes an insurance salesman. 
uh, goes to the arena, XFL. But he could also, as a rhythm passer, it, it seemed like he fit what Malarkey and, and he also had Wizenhunt and that staff too. And you had, as you mentioned, you had Randall L, Plaxico, and Heinz Ward. Was this up there as offenses where it was easiest to have success as a passer in 2002? Yeah, I'd have to check out the landscape a little more, but I mean, off the top of my head, just from even watching it, you know, they did a lot of, they ran a lot of concepts that you still would see now, which was encouraging. The Falcons didn't do as much of that, but obviously they had Vic, you know, uh, uh, really early in his career, and I don't think they really had a great grasp on how to, you know, handle him as a passer at that time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, this their offense was actually fun to watch. A lot of the stuff they were doing. I mean, honestly, if if Maddox even for the game he had, like, didn't he could have played better in this game? Uh, definitely missed some throws and took some chances. But I I think going back to that, my recollection may be off. Like I said, being only 20 years old at that time, have lots of age on me. Uh, but uh, I I think I remember him being kind of up and down like that, where like he would get hot and cold at certain moments because that's the kind of uh, you know passer he was. Yeah, 20 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, didn't play the full season. Cordell Stewart starting the year, but if DraftKings had existed at the time, he did put up the, the day of his life and, oh, and yeah. also and had a big wild card later that season, too, in the victory over the Browns. But we're getting toward 5 o'clock at the end of this game, the broadcast over four hours. Um, <laughs> you're, so you're pushing into the afternoon slate, and if DraftKings existed... And you don't have Tommy Maddox, Plaxico Burris, and Heinz Ward. Are you thinking you have any chance of taking a tournament? I mean, if you have all three of those guys, uh, you went off. So Pro, Pro Football Reference actually, actually does DraftKings scoring for retro games. That's awesome. And, uh, and I pulled this up. I pulled up this week. Uh, and Plaxico was the highest scoring DraftKings player of the week. Uh, Heinz Ward was third and Tommy Maddox was fourth. Now, there also was another stack that week that if you had, you might have been able to compete. So in the same week, uh, the Rams, uh, Mark Bulger threw, 450, threw for 450 mm-hmm. yards and four touchdowns. And in the same game, Isaac Bruce had 10 catches and three touchdowns. So they, they did rival the the stack. But if you had the three-man stack, it was going to be hard. And then if you somehow, and I don't know what how you would have done it uh, leading into this game, but if you somehow had a cross-stack that was Sean Jefferson, you would have had no oh, chance. Because I looked up Sean Jefferson's season that year. So in this game, Sean Jefferson had uh, nine catches for 131 yards and a touchdown. It was the only touchdown he scored all year. <laughs> and he only had 27 catches the whole season. So like this was like his entire season uh, was in this game. I don't know how you would have arrived on him prior to the game. But if you somehow had that four-man game stack, you would have there. I don't know how you wouldn't have won won the million won the million there. <laughs> yeah, you're you're <laughs> running away with it at that point. Sean Jefferson long in the tooth at that point, but uh, his son started, just got drafted, right? His son was just drafted by the Rams. Yeah, yeah. and he was uh, <laughs> he's a starter on two different Super Bowl teams, the yep. Bledsoe Patriots <laughs> and the the Chargers that got whipped by the Niners. Uh, so Sean Jefferson. It, Vic's best deep threat and you're probably not stacking Vic with any of his receivers in 2002 Brian Finneran <laughs> the only person yep. close to 100 targets and he was over that that weekend you gotten by if you put Oz Akeem in your lineup seven for 143 and a touchdown from Joey Harrington I imagine he's like under four percent owned um <laughs> <laughs> and uh Peyton Manning went into, I mean, he probably would have cost way too much, but 
319 and three in Philly. I guess a contrarian stud play, but probably still not giving you enough, <laughs> even if he's priced down at Philly against Jim Johnson. Kevin Falk was the nuts at running back. Yes. Seven receptions, 108 and a touchdown. If you figured that the Patriots would go visit the Bears at the University of Illinois Stadium in Champaign and go down 27 mm-hmm. to six and have to throw their way back, and you went Brady, Brown, Kevin Falk, then maybe you have some money to get, you know, Plaxico and and Bruce in, in there, and you have a shot. <laughs> yeah, real fun week looking up those names. I had a blast. Uh, I think the, the 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 guy I didn't look at his games leading into it, but uh, James Mungro popped up for a hundred. He had a hundred yeah. yards and two touchdowns. Remember that? I think that was the year he had double digit rushing touchdowns. Uh, he had one year with double digit rushing touchdowns where he he got some burn uh, for for the Colts and had like that one year kind of out of nowhere. But I remember writing him up in one of my early fantasy article on like Monte Ball, like attachment to Peyton Burke, running back attachment to Peyton Manning, how valuable it was because like all these guys like scored touchdowns and James Mungro was one of them. (laughs) James Mungro, the original Monte Ball, um, (laughs) ended up being the take. But it wasn't really till the second half where this game delivered. If you're on DraftKings, pulling this. Uh, yeah, I mean, both both yeah. Falcons touchdowns, the first ones were really kind of just like they didn't have drives. They had the, they had a bomb to Sean Jefferson, uh, and Warwick Dunn had like that 60 yard touchdown run. They didn't really they weren't sustaining drives at all in this game, uh, you know, up until 10 minutes to go. The two teams combined for 1,092 yards, 51 first downs, Ooh. and eight touchdowns in a game that ended a tie. The Steelers take the lead. 17-7 at the half, total yardage 270 to just 131 for the Falcons. Tim Lewis, in between the two LeBeau areas, areas, had a decent game plan that eventually broke down, but you're playing zone behind two waves of blitz, and through two quarters, Michael Vick was held in check. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really surprised when I went back and watched this. Like, Vic really had no no chance. I mean, they were rushing off his left side. They were rushing DBs consistently off his left. Uh, you know, Deshae Townsend, Dwayne Washington, those those guys, were, were, were they were sending corner heat. Uh, he, he was only sacked three times, but he had two intentional groundings that were, like, really sacks. Like, he just got rid of them uh, and took the intentional grounding. And he had one where he had, like, one Houdini-esque getaway. It was, like, then it was like you know Michael Vick only could have done this um he actually almost threw an interception on the play where he got away and like winged it to the sideline and uh someone might have had a shot at it but uh they really had a great game plan he only rushed for I want to say like 38 yards and uh, it really all came on that last touchdown he really didn't have uh much to go at all and he lost a fumble on a scramble too they really had a great game plan for him it just really broke down at the end um and I'm sure you'll get to it but the, you know the Steelers had that costly turnover that kind of opened the door for everything Yep, right before that turnover, Heinz Ward puts them up 31-17. They eventually go up 34-17 in the fourth quarter, but going into the fourth, 31-17, Heinz Ward gets a two-point conversion that bumps it from 29 to 31. Do you feel like Heinz Ward's game is more valuable? was more valuable in 2002 than it would be today between the blocking and his skill set as a receiver? I think Heinz Ward, he, he would have been good in just about any era. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. really. I mean, and especially now when more wide receivers are on the field than ever before. I mean, more teams would utilize their slot man more. So he could have probably thrived in more systems. But I mean, I just I feel like Hines Ward would have been really good no matter what. I mean, that dude was you, you hate to have to just be cliche and use the term football player. But uh, that's what that guy was, man. Uh, granted, he wouldn't be cracking back on people uh, and yeah, getting away with that. Uh, <laughs> he would he wouldn't be doing that now. But uh, as an actual skill set as a receiver, I mean, he almost he almost won this game in overtime on a screen pass uh he almost he probably should have housed it he kind of stumbled in the open field a little bit and had to cut it back but uh, i thought he was going to go it was a jailbreak scenario uh in, in ot and i thought he was going to end it then and it really um they ended up missing a field goal after that but i thought he was going to end it there on that screen in overtime where he he had a monster gain but uh, kind of stumbled in the open field so that turf kind of got him a little bit too camera angle from that game uh from from the offense's end zone Keon Carpenter of the Falcons gets his foot out, trips Heinz Ward, and that's why he falls into Anna, Alan Fanica and only takes it to the 38, the edge of field goal range, instead of taking it well into field goal range or possibly the distance there. One of the many swings of cruel fate in this game that took <laughs> win probability from about 98% to the, for the Steelers back to a ball game. He also, especially on that two-point conversion, they, they run... He's faking motion to one side and then comes back and does a speed out out of the backfield. Tommy Maddox rolls out and hits him. Um, outside of the pre-snap motion, more so the, the post-snap design reminded me of wildcard game. Nick Foles in Chicago hits Golden Tate on the speed out. And I started to think, is that the modern comp for Heinz Ward, Golden Tate? That's not a bad one at all. Uh, I I mean, Golden Tate had a, a little more like vertical game early in his career probably than Heinz Ward did, but uh, it's not a bad comp at all because of, you know how he thrived later in his career, the back, the second half of his career. I like that a lot. Um, I I love that play in the goal line. I mean, I I love those types of plays, those rub routes, those speed outs from the slot, and uh, way more than the the, the 50-50 fade ball. Uh, uh, I mean, that, that stuff still kills me that teams are so inefficiently throwing jump balls up. Uh, but I love those. Remember there one year, um, a couple years ago with the Jets where Eric Decker, I swear he scored a touchdown in like eight, eight times on the same play. Like they just ran like an inside rub route and he just, right. it, 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 and like, it was the same play. It's like, all right, man, we know this play's coming. I mean, if you look it up, <laughs> I, I swear like eight of his like 13 touchdowns that year came on the one play, but I'm surprised more teams don't utilize that type of stuff more at the goal line because that's way more successful to me than the, these jump balls, these big clashers. Feels like something that never went out of style from like the Bill Walsh playbook, where like all of a sudden Jerry Rice is coming out of like slightly offset in the backfield and running a speed out, and you're just getting like a free score on the goal line. Another modern comp I thought of for Tommy Maddox. Good enough arm where he could throw a pretty deep ball when he has the space, enough to stretch field vertically, but when he gets pressure, he's erratic at all levels. The Steelers had the most first half points in the league heading into this game. So very good in the opening script, but outside of the opening script, they struggled a little offensively in the second half. I was thinking Jared Goff. Yeah, that's not bad either. Because anyone that play, I mean, you talk about playing in structure, playing in structure. Derek Carr is like that a lot too, uh, yeah. but he's more intermediate or has turned more intermediate. Uh, yeah. You know, the the past few years, he he pushed the ball downfield a little more with Crabtree and Cooper and those guys. But those guys that once you get them off structure, uh, it, it's it's bad news, and that's exactly it. That's exactly how he was. 
Um, and Carr protects the ball a little bit more too, so that's probably not great. But Goff will throw some picks too. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, it was it was like that in the second half. They got a, they brought a little more heat. They got to him a little bit more, and that kind of opened the door. But like like I said, what really happened? I mean, the Randall fumble was what really kind of set everything off. Yeah. So <laughs> ten minutes left in the game, Steelers getting the ball back on a punt, up seventeen. They don't end up winning this game, and it starts with a fumble by Antoine Randall-L, who'd done some good things in the receiving game and had a good return earlier. But when that happened, do you remember it creeping in your head that this game might not be over? Not really even then, even even though I knew the outcome, <laughs> you know, even watching, it's like, how did they pull this off? Because I don't, I don't really remember them being down that late by that many points. And yeah. uh, especially when you watch, like I said, the game plan, like they were, like Vic was... Vic had no answer. Their only two touchdowns were broke, kind of a like a, a long ball, not really sustaining drives. Even then, it was like they had to be thinking when they fumbled, like, all right, well, we're fine. We're still good. I mean, obviously, it's three scores. We've been getting heat all day. If we're just, you know, if we just protect everything, we're good. And uh, it ended up falling that the complete opposite direction. Bill Cower coming from a, a special teams background, but it was a weird year for that unit and a weird game. I mean, Alan Rossum for the Falcons goes for 122 punt return yards in the day, including a long one setting up the game winning drive or the game tying drive. Uh, the Randall L fumble, extra point and a field goal blocked. And yep. um, <laughs> uh, Todd Peterson, they signed him to a four-year deal before the season. And they were so gung-ho about getting a kicker because Chris Brown the previous season led the league and missed field goals. I saw this old Post-Gazette article by Ed Bouchette uh, quoting quoting Cower after they thought they'd fix the kicking issue by signing. He ends up going back and forth with Chris Brown, who he lets the Texans take in the expansion draft. Cower says, Heinz Field has claimed a kicker. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, and, then, and then Chris Brown comes back with, it's not a situation where I was scared to kick at Heinz Field. If Pittsburgh matched, I would have been very happy to stay here and I would have done well at Heinz Field. It's not a situation for me to get out of kicking at Heinz Field <laughs> for why he left. I know people will say that and they're entitled to their feelings, but Heinz Field had nothing to do with that. Fast forward to this game. Peterson, their new kicker. Two kicks blocked. He misses one right before the end of the first yep. half. Is it just like shocking as a Steelers fan to see them not get that edge in the special teams game? In fact, have it really hurt them? Yeah, I remember, you know, early on in that stadium, it's still, uh, you know, being a problem to kick there. And I think it still is, you know, I'd have to go back and see if it's really adjusted recently. But, uh, you know, kicking in that stadium in general, the field was terrible that game. Uh, and even a couple of kicks that were made in that game by both kickers really were questionable on uh, uh, kind of getting there, you know, especially in the one direction. Everything was hooking left for each kickers and they both snuck one in, uh, you know. So, yeah, it was definitely an event all, all game. There was a couple of shoddy punts in this game as well uh definitely some real short kicks and we saw like the one Rossum got the return the first Randall L kick too was not a great punt uh that he that he ran back uh so I mean yeah it was just not a great kicking performance altogether but you know that was a different era too for kicking even when you go back to 2002 I mean we were growing up and you know uh, you, you know really like a 50 yard field goal was a big deal kickers missed you know more kicks uh, you know, in, inside of 40 yards. Now these kickers now are just machines. I mean, you, it's not even a big deal to kick a 50-yard field goal anymore. If you miss, like, inside of 40 yards, it's like, you know, what's going on here? Even though we see extra points missed, but it's just – field goals are a lot more, I feel like, of a crapshoot, you know, even going back to 2002, uh, way more than they are now. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Eventually, yeah, the Falcons come back tied. They push it to overtime. Spoiler, this game goes all then <laughs> 15 minutes uh, in the overtime for the tie. They keep getting to the edge of field goal range, and then yeah, they either miss the kick or Bill Cowher says, you know, I'm not kicking a 51-yard field goal. I'll punt it with five minutes left in overtime. Um, at one point, Amos Zeroway slips on a run when he's at the edge of field goal range, and the announcers, they, they say flat out, it's nothing but sand out there because apparently mm-hmm. – Heinz Field hosted a high school football game on Friday and a Pitt Panthers game on Saturday. They knew Vic and the Falcons were on the schedule for Sunday. Do you think Pittsburgh found a home field advantage in making the turf garbage? <laughs> they could have. Uh, you know, you think back uh, to that RG3 uh, Seattle game, but that was a home oh, yeah. field. They ruined their own quarterback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I mean, the the actual field, I don't know if, like, I didn't really, I don't think that was more of the problem for Vic. I think the, the actual the defensive game plan was good for Vic. Like I said, they sent a lot of pressure off his left side. Uh, and like you said, the receivers that he had at that at that time were not the greatest. Uh, but, you know, he ended up getting them in the end in the fourth quarter. Before, after the fumble, the Anton Randall fumble, they scored a touchdown, and he had probably his first best scramble of the day. He ran for like 12 or 13 yards. Algie Crumpler absolutely flatlined a guy uh, on, on one of the plays. And then they scored like a fullback dive. Uh, Work done got vultured uh, in that game. You know, Work done his whole career got vultured, but uh, talk about an underrated player. Work done was, I mean, this guy had uh, what 11 years over a thousand yards from scrimmage out of 12 played. And I think the one year he didn't, he had like nine and change. Like, just, yeah. just came short. It was a really underrated player for our era. I don't know if people will go back and ever remember Wark Dunn uh, as, like, one of the top, like, running backs in the league. But, you know, he was a guy that surrendered a lot of touchdowns inside the five because of his size, but was an absolutely electric player. Uh, but, yeah, then Vic got, then Vic had another scramble later in the game that kind of the, the game-tying touchdown uh with what 50 seconds left or 45 seconds left, uh, which was another good, just great scramble on his part. 
but yeah, I don't think the field was too much of an issue for him. But I mean, there was definitely times it cropped up in the game for players outside of Vic, like you talked about Zaraway and, and some of the other players out in space. Even the the kickers. Oh, absolutely, I the mean, kickers. <laughs> I mean, Peterson. It seemed like it hurt the Steelers more in this game than the Falcons to me. That Jay yeah. Feely last field goal attempt was on the in like a and like I think he all he did was kick dirt on like the <laughs> because I think he was trying to hit it low and if you see like the replay on it he just like kicks dirt everywhere like <laughs> oh, yeah yeah there's there's mud there's clouds of sand um, and but I'm watching it Vic's shaking the strong safety for the Steelers when he right before he goes in. For the game tying score, not Troy Palomalo, Lee Flowers. And on those final drives where Vic would dance around, throw to convert like a third and 24, he had 18 of his 38 rushing yards in the final drive. If Troy Palomalo is there, gives that defense a little bit more of a killer instinct. Yeah, Troy was Troy was something, man. When you think of aggressive players, he was that guy. Uh, just you know, instinct, aggressiveness. Um, probably he could have played a lot longer if he wasn't as aggressive as he was. <laughs> um, you know, kind of kind of caught up to him. But man, he was something special then. I mean, I obviously there's so many plays that stand out. You know, obviously the one where he just completely guesses the play and jumps over the line like it's Tecmo Super Bowl <laughs> uh, stands out. But yeah, definitely he he would have been a guy over over Lee Flowers. It shakes. Flowers, and then he gets to the edge on Dwayne Washington. He had two Steelers defensive backs who were very weary at that point in the game. And I, I felt like there's so many Steelers games later in that decade where a team's starting to get back in the game, and then Palomalu uh, makes a, like either a tackle or a pick or, uh, or at times like a sack or a forced fumble. Um, now, down the stretch, Falcons tie it, take it to OT. Want to try something I haven't tried in this podcast yet? And it's a, a game break from JB. Um, so so let's see if you remember. I don't remember all these names. Let's see if you remember all of them. That's frankly incredible. Okay. Time to update a couple of games. Let's go to JB. Hey, Sam, you know you can't keep the Packers down for long. Take a look at Brett Favre here. Looking left first and for the fade pattern, not there. What does he do? He finds the tight end Bubba Franks across the middle. Back on top by three on Detroit. Take a look at New York and Minnesota. Kerry Collins, after Minnesota's 25th turnover of the season, they capitalized to the fullback, Charles Stackhouse, his first career touchdown. And that and the Giants are on top by a touchdown. Back to Sam and Bill. <laughs> do, do, do you remember all those names? I don't remember Def- Charles Stackhouse. No, definitely not Charles Stackhouse. And absolutely, you know, Big Bubba Franks and, you know, obviously the, the QBs we know. But Charles Stackhouse was not one, not one fresh in the memory banks. I'm a Giants fan. Don't remember the guy. Jerry Stackhouse, I do. Yeah, Jerry Stackhouse. I know I know him. So they get to overtime. Steelers keep getting to the doorstep. Falcons get to the doorstep a couple times. Steelers punt with under five minutes left. They pass up third and 13. There's actually one point in OT where they have a third and one, and they just can't convert. Amos Zaraway ran 37 times for 3.3 a carry. <laughs> it just is a totally right. different Steelers offense from the rest of the early part of the decade, where it was, it was the only thing they could really rely on a ton was the passing game. How tilted were you during the Falcons' final three plays on offense? You're leading them total yards by a ton. Michael Vick bombs it to McCord in the end zone. Leaf Flowers barely tips it away. And then on third down, Michael Vick is at the edge of field goal range. He makes a break for it. Joey Porter spying. 
how hard is your heart beating right there? Because with two minutes left in the overtime, you could somehow lose this game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with the drive before, too. Yeah, I mean, the Pittsburgh, you know, kind of gave it back to them. Uh, you know, they, they had a decent punt return. And then just, yeah, Atlanta, they had the shot on the bomb. And then, you know, you think Vic's just going to get away for any type of yardage uh, before they try that fe- long field goal that we talked about where Jay Feely just kicks dirt, basically. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, you did. They like I said the, the game plan for the Steelers was really good though for defending Vic scrambling was sound uh, completely and that play was a great testament to it. Um, you know, uh, yeah, J- Joey Porter uh, was there. Uh, that the, I the, they had all that. Jason Gilden is in this game. Jason Gilden was a really underrated player. I think Jason Gilden had like 80 career sacks or something. Like he was really underrated. Probably one of those guys that, like I said, like not quite on Warwick Dunn's level of popularity, but you know was a really underrated player for that era. It had a lot of success for the Steelers. Um, you know, obviously they brand through linebackers through that whole stretch of the 90s and the early 2000s. Even beyond that, if you want to count guys past that, like James Ferrier and yeah. Larry Foote and guys like that. But uh, yeah, they, they used to just print linebackers uh, there in Pittsburgh. But that was it was a great game plan, I thought, by the Steelers. They only just gave up some big plays and had some miscues at the, at the wrong times. Porter finds Vic trying to get to the hole, forces the field goal attempt that will be blocked by Atlanta. Joey Porter all over the place in this game. The announcers actually openly remarked in overtime, they're like, wow, Bob Bob Whitfield gets away with a hold. Joey Porter's rush side. And then I think Rosen goes, the play-by-play guy says, he's been doing it all game. (laughs) (laughs) Play-by-play guy. Uh, I mean, yeah. (laughs) That's some real tilt when the play-by-play guys. But Michael Vick, yeah, they did a, such a great job stopping him, and it was an impressive defensive game plan. Only 30 yards rushing that day. So on the season, Vic had 777 rushing, eight touchdowns. Culpepper, the next closest underrated QB in the annals of fantasy football history, 609 rush yards and 10 touchdowns from Dante Culpepper. Two years later, Vic has more than double the next closest guy. Who is the ultimate era-adjusted Konami code? I, I think Culpepper was the QB1 this year and the year after. I think 2002 and 2003, he was the QB1. I think he was the last QB to be QB1 in points per game uh, in that. And I think Breeze had one year where he double-dipped uh, back-to-back years as the QB1 overall, but the one year he wasn't QB1 in points per game. I think Culpepper was the last to do it back-to-back years. Yeah. Um, the one, I think one year, too, Culpepper also had a – he wasn't the QB1 overall, but he had another QB1 scoring season with, like, 20 turnovers uh, and still was a fantasy QB1 just because of the rushing acumen. Is, I think he rushed for 10 touchdowns that year, oh. uh, which was a big which was a big swing. You know, Culpepper, was, he's forgotten because, you know, a little bit just because the rest of his career and the trajectory was so bad from the start. Uh, but, you know, he had a stretch there with Minnesota where he was just a, 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 a Konami beast because yeah. the key to the Konami code is when it the Konami code itself just boosts your floor. But when you have guys that add passing, like you had Lamar Jackson this year, like Deshaun Watson uh, has done in his career, like we think Kyler Murray's going to probably be able to do, like that's when you unlock like these mega ceilings. When you have the passing go with the rushing. Because yeah. the, the, the rushing was all about unlocking the floor. Like, hey, these guys are better than you think because you see a bad quarterback, but this weighted scoring gives them high floors. Vic was kind of more in that bucket outside of that, you know, that, that 2010 right. run um as a passer i think if vic would have played now they would i think 
he would have had some more success in some other schemes and, and, and different things like that. And teams would have used him a little bit better on the designed run game because Rick was really just a scrambler. Everything was off scrambling, uh, which is the difference between him and like a guy like Lamar Jackson now where Lamar Jackson is literally getting everything off of designed runs. Right. I mean, you think about it, Lamar Jackson through a year and a half of really playing has 323 rushing attempts uh, and 82% of them are designed runs. Um, I don't I don't have the data that goes back pre-2010, um, but I do have it for the Vic uh, years afterwards. And from 2010 to 2013, he was with the Eagles, um, just 40% of Vic's runs were designed runs, so half. And 82% of his rushing yardage stemmed from scramble runs. So the Vic was a totally different animal. He was dropping back to pass in passing situations and taking advantage there where Lamar Jackson is actually having, you know, offenses that design runs for him. And we've seen that now with the designed runs creep back in the NFL. Dak Prescott is a guy who's increased his designed run rate, you know, the past three years, Josh Allen. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a different era uh, now where we have more athletes that can actually pass playing quarterback, where it was kind of uh, more athletes that they were trying to mask their inability to pass kind of in this era. And we talk about yeah. Cordell Stewart getting benched. We talk about Cordell Stewart getting benched yeah. to, to open. And he was very similar in that bucket. Uh, and yeah, it would have been really interesting to see if Vic, if he was in this era, like how differently his career would have been. Cause obviously he had a good career and I'm not trying to take away from that, but like if he was handled a little bit differently and not just wedged into trying to be, I think a complete passer, it could have, they could have uh, made his passing better. Like we've seen guys like Colin Kaepernick for years, uh, that you kind of had some faults as a, uh, a passer that, you know, Vic is the same. I think Vic is similar to Kaepernick, uh, as a passer and similar that he had to see the throw to he had to right. see the throw to make it, and he had very he had a lot of trouble with um, you know trajectory throws and taking stuff off the ball. Uh, there's problems that Kaepernick had as well, but you know Kaepernick was a guy that was super successful because they were able to scheme him into you know half read throws, high low reads. If you give Vic, I think some more of that stuff, I think he probably has a little bit of a different career. Um, and then also if you just give him Deshaun Jackson, he probably has a different career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give him give him to Sean Jackson for his whole career. It probably works out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sean Jefferson at age, I think, 33. Brian Finneran. Versus, versus prime DJ. Yeah, yeah, Brian Finneran, um, <laughs> who is on the jump ball at the end of the game. Falcons go from game-winning field goal attempt to blocked field goal, and Hail Mary caught by Plaxico Burris at the goal line, catches it over, or actually, technically under the 6'5", Brian Finneran, and down at the one-inch line. As it happened, did you think he's in? Well, I'm watching the throw, and it's funny because you could see Plax has like a complete bead on the throw, and there's like no Falcons in the picture yet. And you're just like, well, when is someone going to step up? It was like they all were just hanging out at the goal line, which is, you know, obviously worked out. But, I mean, if he catches that ball one foot deeper, it's it's a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, it was really interesting to see how they played it uh, because Plax really didn't, like, it's not like he went and skied over him. Like, he basically, you know, he, he basket caught it, you know, <laughs> uh, a Hail Mary, which you don't really see very often. Some wild images right after that. He's just like Heinz Ward walks up and he's like, wait, are you in? And then just everyone in the Steelers, you see really both teams just kind of collapsing in exhaustion. <laughs> uh, yeah, I forget who the Falcons DB was, but clearly knew he wasn't in and is uh, like shaking hands with, uh, I think, Heinz Ward or Randall like right then and just like let him know like, yeah, this is this is an interesting one, but we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and one of the weirder Stranger Games ends in a 34-34 tie. <laughs> Michael Vick, those early years with Dan Reeves and then going on to Greg Knapp, they try to make it work in, in the West Coast scheme with Knapp. They make the NFC title a couple of years from there, but it's like a middling slash like lower-end offense. I think he has a better early career if he has to find someone like Andy Reid early on. I mean, absolutely. I think that he was a little hamstrung early in his career by one, you know, the the systems he was in, and then like we talked about, just surrounding fit for playmakers. Uh, you know, they they really didn't have the the downfield burner types that that they needed. I think for him, uh, but yeah, like I said, I think that they he was just kind of mishandled a little bit. They tried to make him too much of an actual, you know, rhythm passer, and I don't think that was really his, what the, what his strengths ever were going to be. Uh, but I mean, if you put him in the hands of a guy like Andy Reid, I think obviously it goes a little bit better. But I, I mean, I don't really know if Andy Reid like changes it, the whole trajectory at all, because um, I think he still too wanted him to be more of a passer. I think it was until later in his career, and then you know, get you get Deshaun Jackson, you get some pieces that fit, and it really works out. Jeremy Macklin. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it would have been better than Greg Knapp and, and Dan Reeves and, yeah. uh, <laughs> for sure. But, uh, it's tough to say, man, it was such a different time, uh, w- with Vic and, you know, how he was handled and he came kind of out of a blue, out of the blue, uh, in terms of athleticism that really wasn't even there, even from the mobile passers we had at that time. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. Um, uh, but I think he would have done a lot better now in today's NFL. Michael Vick and Tommy Maddox both at the end of the season win their first playoff start. Michael Vick in Lambeau. Mm. Tommy Maddox at home hosting naturally. Another the, crazy game. The one time the Cleveland Browns in this iteration of their franchise make the playoffs, they lose to the Steelers. And in a nail-biter, Steelers down 17 points in that game. Tommy Maddox rallies them back. Steelers ended up bowing out in the divisional round to the Titans. But how did it feel as a Steelers fan that year, especially all that had happened? I mean, the previous year, you lose as 10-point favorites in the AFC title. But this year, with all that happened, Cordell benched, uh, insurance salesman, the starting quarterback, defense at one of the less reliable versions you'd seen over the years. Did you just feel like you were playing with house money once you got to the postseason? I mean, they should have been, especially with how they won that first game. I mean, I think I remember the, the, that, that game versus Cleveland where, I mean, Dennis Northcutt dropped a touchdown. I think that would have won that game uh, for the Browns. And it was, that was another crazy game uh, with some, you know, high scoring kind of shootout, shootout uh, p- uh, potential in that game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you win that, you just win wacky games and you have games like this during the season. Uh, you said you pull a guy at Tommy Maddox out of XFL. It's kind of just one of those years where just you kind of were along for the ride and wherever it went, because you, you didn't know where the turn was going to be next or where the next drop was going to be. It literally was kind of a roller coaster ride. Kelly Holcomb puts up over 400 yards passing yeah. with his QB whisperer, Bruce Arians and the Browns. Mm. But at the end of the game, the field in Pittsburgh comes in play, catches a pass in field goal range, needs to get out of bounds in time before the clock runs out to kick a game-tying field goal, slips on the Heinz Stadium turf. Did you, yeah, did, I mean, yeah. it's crazy. I'm looking at these the, the last three games the Steelers played, and, you know, the last game of the regular season, 34-31, then the Browns playoff game, 36-33, and then they lost the Titans, 31-34. I mean, this was this was that year, man. They played in the, a lot of these just bonkers, high-scoring games uh, in the 30s, which is not what we grew up with Steelers football, right. like kind of at this time, uh, with <laughs> under Cower especially. <laughs> 
thanks for coming on the program and chatting about this very entertaining, strange time in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, this is fun, man. This is, this is a unique uh, little podcast you got going on. And um, I had a blast going back and watching this game and just seeing some of the guys you kind of forget about. You don't forget about them. They just are stored in a different part of your brain. Yeah. And then you see some, like, uh, a Deshae Towns is that for me. I was like, oh, man. Deshae Towns. I was like, oh, man, I remember this dude every year. Like, all the time. like I said, Jason Gilden was one of those guys, like, just completely yeah. forget about. But then had a hyper-productive – he was a really productive career that he had. And, you, you know, you'll never really hear any mentions about Jason Gilden being an all-pro or being a Hall of Famer or anything. But the guy had uh, almost 80 sacks in his career. Yeah. Like, that's something to, you know, hang your hat on wherever he's at and how. Uh, salute to you, you know, Jason Gilden. And, you know, I was seeing guys like Brian Finneran and Algie Crumpler and those guys are fun uh Algie Crumpler especially just because that guy was so he just didn't look like a pass catcher at all you know yeah. and he would get downfield and make these plays though but you know it was just such a he just wasn't like, he didn't look dynamic but he was he would he would make these plays and just uh I mean I just remember seeing him with Vic early in his career and it was fun to see those guys and uh it was a lot of fun man uh, going back and, and chatting about this and, and reliving some of those games This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.